Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Murder My Sweet from 1944. The studio was RKO Pictures, the release date was December 9th, 1944. The running time, 95 minutes, and it was in black and white. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guide gives it 3.5 out of 4 stars. His quick little synopsis is, adaptation of Raymond Chandler's book gave Dick Powell a new image as a hard-boiled detective Philip Marlowe. Involved in homicide and blackmail. Still packs a wallop. It was remade in 1975 with Robert Mitchum. I'm not sure the first time I saw this film, it might have been as a teenager when AMC used to be known for playing classic films. In any case, it was part of a film noir box set I bought in the early 2000s. And this is the type of classic private investigator tale I really enjoy. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. So the original title of the film and the novel it was based on was called Farewell, My Lovely, and it was written by Raymond Chandler in 1940. Initially, the film was even released for an opening in Minneapolis with this original title. However, the title was changed because it was somewhat misleading to audiences who thought it might be a musical due to its title, along with the fact that Dick Powell was best known for being in musicals prior to this film. By having murder in the title now, nobody would mistake this film for a musical. Interestingly enough, there are not many film noirs that feature private investigators, and the ones that do are usually written by Raymond Chandler, like Lady in the Lake, which we covered, and The Big Sleep. These noir films were initially labeled as thrillers or melodramas, as the term film noir hadn't been created yet. Now, that term film noir was said to have started from a French translation of these types of films around 1946. Farewell, My Lovely was an extremely successful selling novel. It sold over a million copies, more than doubling Raymond Chandler's first novel, The Big Sleep. And cementing the Philip Marlowe character as one of the most famous private investigator characters in literary history. Now, the background for the Marlowe character was that he was originally an officer for the Los Angeles Police Department, but due to the corruption of the department and his unwillingness to play along with it, he was thrown off the force and therefore became a private eye. And that's why his contempt for the police and their contempt for him is evident in most of these films and the novels featuring his character. Prior to this adaptation, Farewell, My Lovely was used as a Falcon mystery starring George Sanders as the Playboy mystery solver. This was released in 1942 with the title, The Falcon Takes Over. Chandler was not pleased that he didn't receive additional compensation when Murder, My Sweet was released since the story had already been sold once. Dick Powell's career prior to Murder, My Sweet were in lighter films, again, mostly musicals. This film was part of the reinvention of Powell's image and career into more serious tough guy roles, which he carried for the remainder of his career, including a successful run on the radio program Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Also interesting, while Raymond Chandler liked how Murder, My Sweet turned out and the direction from Edward Dimitrick, they disagreed on the casting of Dick Powell. Chandler thought that Powell was a lightweight, sort of like Alan Ladd playing tough guy roles. Part of this was based on Powell's earlier film roles. However, Dimitri believed that the Marlowe character was more nuanced and Powell fit that perfectly. 
as opposed to the Sam Spade tough guy character that Humphrey Bogart took on in The Maltese Falcon. And Demetric also felt that Powell was better as Marlowe compared to Bogart when Bogart took on the character in The Big Sleep. But Chandler was always frustrated by film adaptations because he felt that the authors never had enough say in how the films were made. Ironically, when Chandler worked on the screenplay for Double Indemnity, he did the exact same thing to James M. Cain's novel, reworking it to his liking. <laughs> as I've said before, novels and screenplays are totally different endeavors. It was said that Chandler was always kind of a cantankerous sort, so the hypocrisy on this front shouldn't come as a surprise uh, to the so-called torture writer. Just like Dick Powell, Claire Trevor changed her persona on film to more femme fatale roles in the early 1940s, and this adjustment was very successful for her as well. We covered her career in the Born to Kill episode. Sadly, director Edward Dimitrik was eventually blacklisted due to the communist scare of the late 1940s and was part of the so-called Hollywood Ten who would not name names. However, unlike his fellow blacklisted directors, Dimitrik wasn't shelved long because he did testify in front of the committee in 1951 and restarted his career. He said he felt duped by the Communist Party in the 1940s and that changed his mind about testifying. Okay, let's get into the film. So it opens with Phil Morrow, Dick Powell, being interrogated by the police. The scene today looks a bit cliche. Three detectives in suits and hats in a dark room hovered around a table with only the light coming from a table lamp. However, this is still the early days of Hollywood, so none of this seemed like a movie trope at the time. Morrow is a private detective and his head is bandaged, which actually covers both of his eyes. He's been badly beaten and is temporarily blind. Marlowe decides to give his statement on record to the detectives about the entire story which has led up to this point. And this is where the story is told predominantly in flashbacks to show what Marlowe is telling to the police. We're all set. The works? Yeah. Some of it you know. If I miscourt you, I... Let's get it on the record from the beginning. With Malloy, then. Well, it was about 7 o'clock. Anyway, it was dark. What are you doing at the office that late? I'm a homing pigeon. I always come back to the stinking coop no matter how late it is. I've been out peeking under old Sunday sections for a barber named Dominic, whose wife wanted him back. I forget why. All reason I took the job was because my bank account was trying to crawl under a duck. And I never found him. I just found out all over again how big this city is. My feet hurt, and my mind felt like a plumber's handkerchief. The office bottle hadn't sparked me up, so I'd taken out my little black book and decided to go grouse hunting. Nothing like soft shoulders to improve my morale. The soft shoulders had a date, but she thought she could do something about that and was going to check right back. There's something about the dead silence of an office building at night. Not quite real. The traffic down below was something that didn't have anything to do with me. seen your name on a blackboard downstairs. Yeah? I come up to see you. You're a private eye, huh? That's right. I'd like you to look for somebody. I'm closed up, pal. Come around tomorrow, we talk about it. I'll look for her where she worked. 
But I've been out of touch. Okay, tomorrow. I'd like to show you where she worked. Okay, you show me where she worked. This way. The joint looked like trouble, but that didn't bother me. Nothing bothered me. The 220s fell nice and snug against my appendix. I tried to picture him in love with somebody, but it didn't work. It changed it a lot. There was a stage where she worked, and some boots. Pink flowers was in the slot work. She was cute as lace pants. A redhead. Eight years since I seen her. Six, she didn't write. But she'll have a reason. What'd she do, sing? Yeah. Let's you and me go up and nibble a couple. Moose, played by Mike Mazurki, takes Marlo to a seedy wicking club that Velma used to work in. Moose roughs up the owner when he claims that he's never heard of Velma. Now, it's been eight years after all. Marlo's not really sure what to make of Moose, but agrees to try to find Velma. In Raymond Chandler's original novel, the story is not told in flashbacks. And by the way, Mike Mazurki, who is a giant of a man and perfect for the Moose role, was a former pro wrestler. For Marlowe's first lead, he tracks down the former owner of a club named Jesse Florian, played by Esther Howard. Jesse is basically an old drunk at this point in her life. After some evading, Jesse finally admits that she knew Velma and that she's dead, though she has no idea who Moose is. Marlowe leaves her house, but he quickly notices outside through the window that she was making a phone call and no longer seems to be drunk, like the whole thing was just an act in front of him. Marlowe returns to his office to find someone snooping around. His name is Lindsay Marriott, played by Douglas Walton, and he wants to hire Marlowe for a few hours that night. Marriott seems very nervous, and he annoys Marlowe. I'm afraid I don't like your manner. I've had complaints about it, but it keeps getting worse. How much are you offering me for doing nothing? I really hadn't gotten around to thinking about it. You suppose you can get around to thinking about it now? How would you like a swift punch on the nose? I tremble at the thought of such violence. I'm offering you $100 for a few hours of your time. If that isn't enough, say so. There's no risk. Some jewels were taken from a friend of mine in a hold-up. I'm, I'm buying them back. Where and when? Well, the arrangements specify that I drive my car to a rather secluded canyon just above the beach column. Now, wait a minute. You drive out to a nice dark petting spot hiding me in the back seat to buy back some jewelry for a lady friend. I didn't say that. And what you get for the lady's money will be a package you won't be allowed to open if you get anything at all. There's nothing to prevent them from double-crossing you. I certainly couldn't do anything to stop it. By now, every move is planned. And they aren't figuring on roughing you up if you play ball, but they wouldn't like you being twins. One of us might get hurt. Now, I'm afraid I can't do anything for you, Mr. Marriott. But I'll take you a hundred bucks and tag along with the ride. I carry the shopping money, too, and I do the driving. We were watched. 
I didn't see anything. I felt it in my stomach. I was a toad on a wet rock. A snake was looking at the back of my neck. There should be some white posts in a minute. Put your head in. A path there goes down into the hollow where we're to wait. Check. White posts. So while Marlowe looks around, he is then knocked out by a blackjack from behind. When Marlowe eventually wakes up, a flashlight is shining in his face by a woman who asks if he's okay before she runs away like she knew him. When Marlowe gets back to his car, he finds Marriott lying dead in the front seat, beaten to death. Marlowe goes to the police and talks to the same lieutenant from the beginning in the film. That's Randall, played by Donald Douglas. Again, this plot point is a trope, but again, it wasn't at the time. The police lieutenant, who hates private investigators, and the reason is they get in the way of police business. However, it's always the PI that seems to be one step ahead of the police. So Randall informs Marlowe that the police were on the case already, trying to find the men likely mixed up in the Marriott murder, led by someone named Jules Amthor. Marlowe returns to his office and has yet another visitor. Business is getting better. And prettier, huh? Mr. Marlowe, I'm Miss Allison, the Post. Well? The police aren't being very helpful on the Marriott case. I was wondering... How did you know about me? I have friends at the City Hall, naturally. That's my business. I just get you in a lot of trouble. Did Marriott tell you who owned the jade he was buying back? They'll never know where my information came from, but if I know something, I'll be in a much better bargaining position down there. Come in, Miss Allison. Have a seat. No, I wasn't told who owned the jade, Miss Allison. Didn't seem to be any of my business. Had you known Marriott sometime? Well, a couple of weeks. Why? I just wondered if you had any theories, I mean, about what happened or was supposed to happen. One or two. You do your own typing, Miss Allison? Why, yes. I'm not always this brilliant, Miss, uh, Miss Grail, but I'm improving. What do you do besides playing reporter? You're a hot rock anyway, dear. I should toss you to the cops. All I could tell them last night was that Marriott was buying back some jewelry. You knocked their hats off with that line about the jade. Have you ever known a Velma Valento, Miss Grail, a singer? Oh, well, it was another case anyway. I was just hoping. Did your friends at the city hall tell you about the jade, too? Who does it belong to? What's your interest in it? Uh, we're not going to get any place at all answering questions with more questions. I'll take my answer first. Okay. I'm interested in the jade now that I know about it. Because I'd like to know who, besides me, might have killed Marriott. He gave me a hundred bucks to take care of him, and I didn't. I'm just a small businessman in a very messy business, but I like to follow through on a sale. The jade belongs to my father. Oh? Now unlock the door. I gathered from Marriott that it belonged to a lady. My father happens to be married. Oh. Oh, yes, of course he would be. It was your mother, then, who was wearing it the night of the holdup. She's not my mother. Which one sent you here to feel me out? It was my own brilliant idea. Before I see the police, I think I'll have a talk with your father. And your father's wife. 
Anne Grail is played by actress Anne Shirley. And this was her last movie as she retired from acting at the young age of 26. Anne takes Marla to her parents' house to meet her very wealthy father, Lewin, played by Miles Mander, and his much younger wife, Helen, played by Claire Trevor. I had to wait while she sold me to the old folks. It was like waiting to buy a crypt in a mausoleum. Mr. Marla. Marlowe, Father. How do you do? How are you? It's good of you to come. This is Mrs. Grail. Are you familiar with Jade, Mr. Marlowe? Hmm? What do you know about Jade? It's, uh, green, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no thanks. Jade, Mr. Marlowe, is not sufficiently known or appreciated in this country. The great rulers of the East, however, sit down, won't you? Thank you. The great rulers of the East have treated it with a reverence accorded no other stone. They've spent years searching for a single piece. Fetsui Jade, in which uh, I, as a collector, am particularly interested, <coughs> is extremely valuable. Oh, I'm afraid, like most old men with a hobby, I'm inclined to be a bit of a bore. Keep going. Uh, but since my daughter has brought you into this matter, uh, injudiciously, perhaps... I was already in it, up to my eyebrows. I take it the, uh, what's we call it you lost was this stuff, uh, Fitzsui? A necklace, Mr. Marlowe. A necklace, uh, 60 beads of about six carats each. Worth how much? Well, that's difficult to say. The Chinese government had a somewhat larger necklace, uh, which once brought as much as $125,000. You are about to ask, Mr. Marlowe, why I should be so, so reckless as to go out in the evening wearing an irreplaceable necklace. Mm. Something like that. Well, it's, it's unanswerable. I shouldn't have. I never should have worn it out. Where uh, was the stick-up? Well, uh, if you'll excuse me, I'm feeling a little tired and... Well, Mrs. Grail will tell you anything else you want to know. Goodbye, sir. We're naturally anxious to locate the necklace, Mr. Marlowe. I only hope it can be managed without any publicity. Yeah, so do I. Let's dispense with the polite drinking, shall we? Would you mind, uh... No, not at all. I hadn't supposed there were enough murders these days to make detecting very attractive to a young man. I stir up trouble on the side. How much of your money was in Marriott's envelope? Eight thousand. Cheap at the price. <laughs> They're cheap. We guess they didn't know its real value. Hmm. Who could have known you were going to wear the necklace this particular night? My maid, perhaps, but she's had a hundred chances. Besides, I trust her. Why? I don't know. I trust some people. I... Trust you. Did you trust Marion? Not in some things. In others, yes. There are degrees. I thought detectives were heavy drinkers. No. Oh, well, some of them are. Some of them just encourage other people to drink. Since her husband is much older and doesn't go out much, Marriott was essentially Helen's escort to go out on the town. And even though it's never mentioned, because it is the 1940s, it's sort of implied that Marriott is infeminate and likely homosexual. 
Helen feels responsible for getting Marriott killed, though it was obviously his own fault for getting mixed up with the unscrupulous characters who wanted to steal Helen's jewels. Helen decides to hire Marlowe to recover the stolen jade necklace. And just by coincidence, Jules Amthor, who is actually played by Otto Kruger, he shows up at the house. No need for Marlowe to try to find him. It's a brief meeting, and Amthor agrees to Marlowe's request to have Amthor chat with the police about the murder of Marriott. Marlowe goes back to his apartment and is then paid a visit by Helen, who gives Marlowe a sizable amount of cash as a retainer. Helen invites Marlowe out to a nightclub, and he accepts. While Helen is powdering her nose, Marlowe just happens to run into Anne. Anne does not trust Helen at all and urges Marlowe to stay away from her, so much so that Anne offers to pay Marlowe even more money than what Helen is paying him. At this point, it dawns on Marlowe that he seems to recall seeing Anne once before, but he can't quite put a finger on it. Now, the viewer may think it was the mysterious woman who shined the light on him after he awoke after being knocked out in the woods. In any case, also at the nightclub is Moose, how convenient, (laughs) who wants to talk to Marlowe. Anne leaves the club but leaves a note saying that her offer stands. Moose then takes Marlowe to meet a guy. And that guy happens to be Amthor. During their conversation, Amthor admits that he's quote-unquote a quack. Basically a phony psychic who cheats believers out of their money. And this is why the police want to investigate him. Marlow knows that Marriott was a blackmailer of women. And wants to know why he's connected to Amthor. Though his suspicions are that Amthor is the head guy when it comes to robbing the socialites of their prized jewels. Amthor really wants Helen's jade necklace and offers to buy it from Marlowe if he already has it, which he doesn't, or if he can obtain it. You might be wondering why Moose is mixed up in all of this. Basically, Amthor lied to Moose, saying that Marlowe knows where Velma is. How'd you get mixed up with these cookies? What's the connection? He's okay. He tells me about you. Well, if he tells you I know where Velma is, he's nuts. He just picked you up to do his dirty work. He's after some jewelry. He thinks I've got it. Why don't you ask him about Velma? I gave you some dough to find her. Well, keep your shirt on. Where you got her? I haven't got her, you nitwit! Where's the necklace? Tell me and I'll stop you it. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have hit me. Let him breathe a little. Where's the necklace? I haven't got it. All right, a little more. Let him go. He's tame. I could teach you. To what purpose? Dirty, stupid little man in a dirty, stupid world. One spot of brightness onion, you'd still be that. Isn't that so? I'm glad you hit me. It helps. Helps me a great deal. The black pool opened up at my feet again, and I dived in. Next thing I remember, I was going somewhere. It was not my idea. The rest of it was a crazy, coked-up dream. I had never been there before. So Marlowe then goes into a psychedelic dreamlike state, which was very state-of-the-art for 1944. It was almost like Salvador Dali-esque. 
Now, for this scene, the director, Edward Dimitrik, showed Dick Powell falling through this uh, sea of faces. He borrowed this trick from the film Saboteur from 1942, which was a Hitchcock film. And he did this by having the camera pull back from the actor to make it seem like he was falling. He also had the camera accelerate as it pulled back to intensify the horror. So Marl is then given shots to get him to talk or to keep him quiet. We're really not sure. He eventually does wake up. was open, but the smoke didn't move. It was a gray web woven by a thousand spiders. I wondered how they got them to work together. <laughs> what strikes you funny, Pally? Smoke. Oh, the smoke strikes you funny. Where am I? You like also to know where you're at. Anything else, Pally? The doors are too small. The stairs are made of dough. I think this guy's nuts. You think he's nuts? Ah, uh, skip it. I think I'll take myself a nap again. Better make it just that, Pally. <laughs> Morrow, even in a groggy state, manages to get himself together enough to knock out the guard in an attempt to escape from the room he's being held in. He tries to get out the front door, but it's locked. He then decides to confront the doctor who drugged him. The buzzer won't buy anything tonight, Doc. I just gave Nurse a sleeping tablet. For three days you've been a sick man, sir. A very sick man. I cannot recommend your being up and about. I had a nightmare. A lot of crazy things. I slept. I woke up and the room was full of smoke. I was a sick man. Instead of pink snakes, I got smoke. Well, here I am, all cured. What were you saying? I made no remark. Remarks want you to make them. They got their tongues hanging out waiting to be said. I'm Dr. Sonderborg. You've been suffering from narcotic poisoning. On account of you pumped me full of this poisoning, huh, Doc? Speak up, Dr. Jekyll. I'm in a wild mood tonight. I want to go dance on the phone. I hear the banshees calling. I haven't shot a man in a week. You very nearly died, sir. I had to give you digitalis. Also a little something to make me talk? What was I supposed to talk about? Maybe about a jade necklace I haven't got? How was I? Was I good telling you about what I don't have? Did the customers like me? Or will Amther be disappointed in you? Never disappoint Mr. Amther. It depresses him. You're not well, Mr. Marlowe. You may collapse at any time. I must insist upon you going back to bed. Please give me this. Now the gun, please. The gun, 
please. I strongly advise... I'll reel another one to the front door, Doc. When you got a gun in your hand, Doc, people are supposed to do what you tell them. I'm afraid you're going to faint, Mr. Marlowe. Tie a ribbon on it! Girls must have a great time with you. So Marlowe managed to leave this, I guess, sanitarium, and then walks a bit down the road, but runs into Moose, who wants to rehire Marlowe to find Velma. Turns out that Amthor admitted he lied about Marlowe, and so Moose decides to give Marlowe more money to find Velma. Moose strong-arms a cab driver to take Marlowe home so that he can rest and then attempt to find Velma when he's well again. All right, there's about 30 minutes left, and there's all sorts of questions that are still hanging about. Is Velma even really alive? If so, can Marlowe track her down for Moose? And what about Anne and Helen? What is their part in this whole mystery? And then there's Amthor. Well, it's all answered in an action-packed finale. The dialogue is terrific in this film, and Dick Powell does a masterful job in delivering the lines. And about half of the dialogue you hear in Marlowe's narration comes directly from Raymond Chandler's novel. All of his novels were written in first person through the Marlowe character. And if you can't wait to watch the movie, you can hear a radio adaptation with both Dick Powell and Claire Trevor from the Lux Radio Theater from June 11, 1945. I'll tack that on after my little interview. All right, some fun facts. So shooting on the first day of this film was so hectic that Claire Trevor was being sewn into her dress while the first scene was being set up. And then a makeup person was left off of the call, so Trevor did her own makeup herself. During the breaks between scenes, Dick Powell would entertain the other actors with imitations of himself as a singer earlier in his film career. The film made a profit of almost $600,000. So while Mike Mazurki seemed super tall on screen at 6'4", he wasn't that much taller than Powell, who was 6'2 himself. And so for many of the scenes, Powell had to stand in a trench, so he seemed much smaller than the supposed hulking and towering moose. All right, we have a special guest, Samantha, who's never seen this film, so we'll get her fresh take on it. And then after that, I'll play the radio adaptation. And then I'll be back next week for yet another random movie from my DVD collection. All right, we're back with Samantha, and she's going to talk about yet another movie she's never she'd never seen before. At least I don't think she has. So welcome back, Samantha. Hello. It's exciting. Yeah, so we're, we're going with another kind of film noir detective story. Now, before, we, we had covered um, a Philip Marlowe movie, uh, The Lady in the Lake. Um, this time, it's a completely new actor, though the character's fairly the same because it's, it's written by Raymond Chandler. So do, do you like this character in general, or how, how do you feel about Philip Marlowe as, as a whole? So I like, I don't know, did I like him? Did I not like him? I was entertained by him. Right. Right. I from the start, I thought how he was narrating the action and kind of had that um, dialogue mm-hmm. was so funny. Uh, <laughs> maybe it just like hit on my weird sense of humor, but he had so, some of the most bizarre descriptions and lines he was using from the start. Um, mm-hmm. He definitely was portrayed as that very stereotypical, like, grizzled private detective, like, in his shady office. (laughs) And 
kind of like a bit of a maybe hard living type guy. So um, I, I was I was intrigued from the beginning uh, based off of kind of how he was introduced. Mm-hmm. Um, as as the movie went on, he he had I think he definitely has like another side to him. What's interesting about the Marvel characters, he's kind of more nuanced than your standard tough guy detective. Like he's not really a tough guy at all. He's just more cerebral with his investigating. But then he also yeah. he also makes some really dumb moves, <laughs> which gets him into trouble. Yes. Oh, exactly. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. Because yeah, like I kind of questioned why he was doing what he was doing. Right. From my perspective, if I was investigating, I would have looked into things a bit differently. <laughs> right, right. But yeah. I maybe mean, that's just part of the the trap of, of a story arc where he has to kind of get into these pitfalls to get himself out. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that goes into the the plot overall is we're faced with um different things that happen at the beginning, and we think the movie's going in one direction and it kind of be- becomes just one circular story that's all connected in a way. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we're kind of thrown a lot of distractions and he gets caught up in everything. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, there's a lot of red herrings in this. And it's interesting you mentioned the narration because it's very much like kind of almost a radio program in some way. But, you yeah. know, and, and Dick Powell did ha- had his own. A radio show where he played a private investigator where he was a little bit more suave than I think Philip Marlowe. But uh-huh. uh, how did you feel about like the, it's basically told in flashbacks for the majority of the film. Do you like movies to do that? Yeah, I, I do. I also, um, yeah, I always like read it, reading books as well that kind mm. of were written from that perspective. And I like to kind of try to figure out as I'm watching, like how did it end up as it did since we're faced with the, ending at the beginning um, right yeah I, I like also narration and when it's the main character although it's not always the most reliable we're only getting his perspective usually um you're it's a little restrictive in that regard but I I liked it here I think also because how, how how I mentioned earlier just he, some of the things he said were so off the wall and <laughs> yeah could have just been from the time period, but sure, sure. You know, he was very crafty with a lot of his his descriptions and yeah, definitely language. <laughs> How did you feel about the the? There's actually two femme fatales. Um, you yeah, know, Claire Trevor and Claire Trevor. We we talked about in the Born to Kill episode, and then uh, Anne Shirley. Um, so, how did you feel about those characters? Yeah, I was a little surprised there. I thought I kept going back and forth as to who was actually the femme fatale. Maybe you think at first it's um, the younger uh, what uh, Anne. Yeah, at first yeah. you think it's mm-hmm. Anne. She's going to be the yeah the quote unquote femme fatale. The the focus of the movie, but then we meet. Helen and she's even more (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) like dramatic and um so I I kind of liked how they kind of played back and forth and as the viewer you didn't really know could I trust one of them neither were they both gonna trick us in the end how were they involved were they working together even though it seemed like they hated each, well, at least it seemed like Anne hated her. 
right. stepmother. But um, yeah, I thought it was a, a cool um, setup. And I liked how Anne was a little bit more of a, not harder edge, but she had more of a, a bite to her as opposed to in Born to Kill, where the 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 good girl was more, I don't know, passive as opposed to, to Anne, who is a little bit more aggressive. Yeah. 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 And she started out, you know, showing up at Marlowe's office. Right. Right. Stuck around and kept popping up. She her character was really interesting. I almost I liked her more than um Helen. She Helen. was much more stereotypical and how did you and then one of the other main characters, of course, is Moose Malloy, who's just kind of a big lumbering oak, but he does have his own charm in his own way. How did you feel about him? Oh, and yeah, he was weird from the beginning. I almost thought he had some sort of like um, amnesia or right. <laughs> like memory problem. Maybe he does and they didn't go into it too much. But he, yeah, he kept repeating himself and mm-hmm. could have just been because he was in prison for a few years. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was a weird, weird character. Uh, but I feel like all these movies always have this kind of big oafish. Mm-hmm bad guy or kind of guy who lives in that that world yeah you just you have those old xboxers that you could tell like they were like punch drunk or punchy as they used to say so yeah so did you without giving anything away did you did the ending surprise you did you see it coming um how did you how did you feel about how it all eventually played out um yes and no so i I had a feeling that all of these parts were going to eventually connect mm-hmm. since the, at the beginning, Marlo gets these two cases essentially that he is asked to look in on and it's kind of suspect as to why, you know, what a coincidence. Mm-hmm. And then he meets these people and then the same people keep popping up and this person knows this person and, we learn more and more about how these characters know each other. Um, so I knew, or I shouldn't say I know, I knew, but I had a feeling mm-hmm. that it was going to kind of wind up how it did. But again, like these movies with some, some of their convoluted storylines, <laughs> yeah. it went like an extra level that yes. I wasn't quite expecting with all of the scheming and planning behind the scenes. Um, that we learned about, you know, just right at the end. Marlon and, doesn't really discover much himself. <laughs> no, no. And you actually, and you do find out because in the beginning, everyone knows that he's temporarily blinded or he's, he's, he's something's yeah. wrong with his eyes. We do figure that out or find out, you know, why that happened. And everything. Yeah. And the ending is, is kind of cute in its own way too. Yeah. Oh, it is. It, it had the cutesy, happy ending kind of. Kind of. Um, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I, I did think it was it was so funny though because the movie is about him. He's hired as a detective. He kind of figures some stuff out, but <laughs> he just winds up in more trouble. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It's almost like he's needed as like the go between to let it all play out. But yeah, yeah he, doesn't, he doesn't necessarily <laughs> discover it. Everything just kind of plays itself out because he happened to to get in, in a lot of trouble. Also, what was with that? plot line where he ended up getting like drugged and i was getting it that was my my last question how did you feel dream. Yeah. how did you feel about the psychedelic scene because very like kind of salvador dolly of the yeah. era yeah I, that was funny um that that stood out a bit um 
but it's like, of course, something like that would happen. He's working with these weird people. So <laughs> it's fun. I, there's a lot of movies of that era that kind of did some like, did you ever see Spellbound with uh, it's a Hitchcock movie with uh, Gregory Peck and Ingrid Bergman? Okay. Okay. Yeah. There's a similar kind of scene with that. Obviously, the uh, if you've ever seen the original Dumbo, like when they kind of get drunk, there's kind of yeah. the pink So it's kind of funny how they kind of went through this like kind of surrealism back then. <laughs> I don't know. It was like of the time. Yeah. Yeah. The, like dream mm-hmm. or drugged dream sequence. Yeah. Yeah. With the, I think they just wanted to try out some funky filming techniques totally and and again it's <laughs> serve much purpose <laughs> if you think about movies I mean, this is 1944 45 it's still mm-hmm. only 20 plus years since film started so yeah they were still doing that so you enjoyed the film or was it one that you're like eh? yeah oh i did i did i think the beginning caught me i was hooked um based oh, off of the what happened the different people we had not only an investigation of a missing lady, but then there was a, a murder. And so, yeah, there was a lot, a lot happening at the beginning. Um, but like, yeah, as I kind of touched on the, the plot went in a few weird directions. Yeah. I think the ending was fairly satisfying. It was pretty climactic. Yeah. If anything, I think it was just fun to, have the this Philip Marlowe character I think yeah even aside the from the you know confusing plot at times he was pretty interesting and funny to listen to <laughs> good because I I have uh more Philip Marlowe movies that we could eventually <laughs> cover I think that the the biggest being the big sleep which is uh on history as being the most confusing plot ever so that'll be fun to dig into oh yeah and i've seen that before (laughs) okay yeah so that that'll be interesting to talk about when we get there so as always thank you so much samantha all right thank you lux presents hollywood Radio Theater brings you Dick Powell, Claire Trevor, June Dupre, and Mike Mazurki in Murder, My Sweet. Ladies and gentlemen, your guest producer, Mr. Irving Pitchell. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. In answer to the proverb that a leopard cannot change its spots, We bring you tonight a gentleman who turns his back on many years of light and frothy roles by which he climbed to stardom and takes the part of a ruthless, hard-as-nails detective in a drama as relentless as the crimes that it unfolds. He's Dick Powell, hailed so enthusiastically as Philip Marlowe in RKO's sensational success, Murder, My Sweet. Co-starred with him in her screen role as the fatal and mysterious Helen is Claire Trevor, also June Dupre whose natural loveliness would lead us to expect a touch of romance in our play. And towering above our microphones is Mike Mazurki, as the quietly alarming Moose Malloy. Four characters of widely different natures and conflicting motives, involved in one of the screen's most baffling and complex mysteries, a story that in its published form was one of the best-selling thrillers of our time. Most of the action of Murder, My Sweet takes place right here in Hollywood, not too far from our stage. If you saw the picture, you've seen many Hollywood sights from Malibu Beach to Sunset Towers, from the skyline of Los Angeles to the canyons of our hills, 
landmarks as native to Hollywood as the radio and motion picture studios from which these dramas come. In fact, the name Lux on the outside of our theater is, I venture to say, as familiar a landmark in this capital of entertainment as Lux soap itself is familiar in the dressing rooms of screen stars. A standard of complexion care from coast to coast, Lux toilet soap is a friendly link between your home and Hollywood. And now, we take you to the downtown section of our city and the first act of Murder, My Sweet, starring Dick Powell as Philip Marlowe, Claire Trevor as Helen, June Dupre as Anne, and Mike Mazurki as Moose Malloy. When you got something to say, start at the beginning. Okay. It's 7 o'clock at night, and I'm in a 2 by 4 coupe I call my office. I sit at my desk and look at the sign on the door. Philip Marlowe, it says. Philip Marlowe, private investigator. That's a nice title for somebody you go to see when you don't want to see the law. I was tired out. I'd been out peeking under old Sunday sections for a barber named Dominic, whose wife wanted him back. I forget why. Anyway, I didn't find him, and the only reason I took the job was because my bank account was trying to crawl under a duck. I just found out all over again how big Los Angeles is. My brain felt like a plumber's handkerchief. I took out my little black book and decided to go grouse hunting. Nothing like soft shoulders to improve my morale. I'm dialing a number when the door opens and he walks in. The mountain that walks like a man. The biggest mug I ever saw outside of a sideshow. You, Marlowe? Yeah? I seen your name downstairs. They had the names that was in the building. You're a private eye, huh? That's right. i like you to look for somebody. I'm closed up, pal. I looked for her where she worked, but I've been out of touch. Come around tomorrow, we'll talk about it. I think maybe we should do it now. Let go of me, you big ape. I don't mean to do nothing. Here, I'll give you some dough. You come with me. Okay. Okay, I come with you. It ain't far. A cafe on Central Avenue. We can pick up a cab. The place was called Florian's. It looked like trouble, but that didn't bother me. The 220s, the big lug had dropped, felt nice and snug against my appendix. I tried to figure out who he was looking for. I tried to picture him in love with somebody, but it didn't work. They changed this place a lot. There used to be a stage in some boots. Lattice work and pink flowers. She was cute like a bug's ear. A redhead. Eight years since I've seen her. Six years she didn't write. But she'll have a reason. Yeah, yeah, she'll have a reason. What did you do here, singer? Yeah. Let's you and me nibble a couple. Hey, Jack. Yeah? Whiskey. Hey, boss, he's here again. He said you're here again. Yeah. I came in before. I tried to find her. Now, look, big boy, I told you once I'm sorry about your girl, but she ain't here. Her name is Velma. You never heard of Velma, Mr. Florian? She used to work here. You better drink up, Joe. That lady at the end of the bar. Maybe she knows. I have to request you don't bother the customers, see? Lady... You remember a girl used to work here? Her name was Velma. You talking to me? I said, leave the customers alone. So far, you rate me polite, huh? I don't bother you none. Swallow your drink and get out of here. Get out of my way. Come on, pal. Eight years is a lot of gin. They don't know anything about Velma here. Some guys has the wrong idea when it gets fancy. The boss was no lightweight, but Moose picked him up like a rag doll and dropped him in the corner pocket. Moose seemed a little dazed as he walked out, and I tagged after him down the street. That guy in there, 
He shouldn't have talked to me like that. Sure, sure, pal. What's the next stop? Who asked you to stick your face in? Remember me? I'm the detective you hired, Chunky. Oh, the name is Moose. Cut him, I'm large. Moose Malloy. That place ain't like it used to be. There used to be a stage and some boots. You said that. Maybe I told you too much. Maybe I... Let go my arm. Huh? We was to be married, me and Velma. Well, you figure I've been them eight years I said about. Catching butterflies. San Quentin I've been. Look, you find Velva for me, huh? Has she got a last name? Velma Valento. Now you beat it. Sure, sure. How do I get in touch with you? I get in touch with you. Tomorrow, maybe. So tomorrow comes and I'm thinking about Moose Malloy and that bucket of mud look on the face of the boss and Florian's when I hear footsteps coming my way down the hall. Moose was coming back, except it wasn't Moose. It was another new customer. Good-looking guy, well-dressed, like a movie star. Mr. Marlowe, my name is Marion. Come in, come in. Who put in the pitch for me, Mr. Marion? Pitch? Oh, no one, no one. I... I saw your name in the classified section of the phone book. I'm in a clutch at the moment, Mr. Marriott. Your what? I'm busy. I couldn't take on anything big. What have you got in mind? I'd like your services tonight, for just a few hours. I'm meeting some men. I, I'm paying them some money. How much money and what for? I can't go into that. I've simply agreed to serve as the bearer of the money. Oh, you just want me to go along and hold your hand. I'm afraid I don't like your manner. Yeah, I've had complaints before, but it keeps getting worse. How much are you offering me for doing nothing? I hadn't got around to thinking about it. You suppose you could get around to thinking about it now? How would you like a swift punch on the nose? Oh, dear, I tremble at the thought of such violence. I, uh, I'll give you a hundred dollars. If that isn't enough, say it's so. It's enough, it's enough. This is all I can tell you. Some jewels were taken from a friend of mine in a holdup. I'm buying them back tonight. Where? I'm to drive my car to a rather secluded canyon near Malibu. Uh-huh. We drive out there to buy back some jewelry for a lady friend. I didn't say that. Chances are that these men, whoever they are, don't intend roughing you up if you play ball. But they wouldn't like you being twins. Now, one of us might get hurt. No, Mr. Marriott, I'm afraid I can't do anything for you. I see. But I'll take your hundred bucks and tag along for the ride. One more thing. Yes? I carry the shopping money and I do the driving. Very well. We drove down that night. Somehow I knew we were being watched. I didn't see anything. The fog was a nice dish of puree St. Germain. I felt it coming. I was a toad on a wet rock and a snake was looking down my neck. Slow down. We're getting near the spot. Shh, quiet. There should be some white posts along the road. Pull in your head. In back of the white post, there's the path. The path goes down into a hollow. That's where we're to wait. Hey, hey, look. Huh? White post. All right, stop the car. Now, you sit tight, and I'll go down and have a look-see. Have you got a flashlight? Yeah. Don't be more than a couple of minutes. There's nobody here, Marriott. This whole setup looks like a tryout, seeing if you obey orders. Let's pull around the corner and... <laughs> I caught the blackjack right behind my ear and a black pool opened up at my feet. I dived in. It had no bottom. I uh, felt pretty good, just like an amputated leg. I don't know how much time went by. I forgot to look at my watch. But as I came to, I started to call for Marriott. Marriott. Marriott! Are you all right? What happened? Well, who, 
Who are you? Oh. Hey, come back here. Come back here. Hello? Hello? Police headquarters. Let me talk to Randall, Inspector Randall. One moment, please. Inspector Randall? Randall, this is Marlowe. Marlowe? Oh, yeah? Yeah, look. I'm at a gas station down near Malibu, the foot of Woodbridge. So? You better get on here. A guy named Marriott's just been knocked off, beaten to death with a blackjack. Look, Randall, I told you a dozen times what happened. I'd like you to tell me again, here in my big comfortable office. Who killed Marriott? An amateur killed him. Or somebody who wanted it to look like an amateur. Nobody else would hit a man that many times with a sap. Ah, the oftener you go over it, the sillier it sounds. I'd sooner dig eggshells out of a garbage can than information out of you. Oh, I get it. You don't like me. Okay, I'll go home. Right after you start talking sense. For instance? For instance, you don't know anything about Marriott. You don't know how much money you were carrying. You don't know what it was supposed to buy back. Trusting soul, wasn't he? Now, where's the dough? Where? Well, right after I beat out Marriott's brains and just before I hit myself on the top of the head, I hid the money under a bush. Uh... And that dame you claim you saw? Yeah, she must have thought I was somebody else. She took one look and got out fast. Suppose a jewel outfit got the bright idea of using a private dick for contacts and uh, payoff. Oh, great, great. Now I'm a finger for a heist mob. Look, I'm trying to be helpful. I get up off the nice cold ground. I don't use the car because Marriott's still in it. I walk five miles just so you can be the first to hear the news. I wait for you at the beach and lead you straight to the body. So you won't have to wait till next Christmas to find it. I tell you all I know, it sounds screwy. It is screwy. But it's all I know. Sure. Now I'm tired of your bum guesses. Either book me or let me go home. Milo, you'd slit your own throat for six bits, plus federal tax. Now look, Randall. Go on home and keep your big yap shut. One phony move and you'll be locked up as a material witness. Whoever killed Marriott, I'll get him. Yeah, you'll get him. About the time you get your third set of teeth. And stay away from Marriott's pals. I've been after those boys for a long time, and I'm getting close. So watch your step, or I may have to pick you up in the same basket with Jules Amthor. Yeah? Hey, is Jules Amthor mixed up in this? Oh, so you know Amthor. I know lots of people in this town, but I never heard of Jules Amthor. Bad guess, Inspector. Good night, Randall. And keep away from the newspapers. I'll do the talking. Well, I went back to my office the next day. I didn't want to be there because my head felt like a nest of rivets. One of my clients was dead, but the other one was still alive, Moose Malloy. And I figured he might be looking for me. Early in the afternoon, this kid walks in. And business is getting better and better. Prettier. My name is Ann Ellison, Mr. Marlowe. I'm a reporter from the Post. Oh, have a seat, Miss Elton. Police haven't been very helpful on the Marriott murder. I was wondering... There's a question I always ask. How did you know about me? Oh, friends at City Hall. Uh, tell me, did Marriott tell you who owned the jade he was buying back? No. No, he, he didn't. Had you known him long, Marriott? A couple of weeks. Why? Well, I just wondered if you had any theories about... about what happened or what was supposed to happen. Oh, I've, I've got a couple, uh... Say, this is a nice-looking purse. Just what do you mean by opening it? I'd like to prove another theory, that you're not a reporter... Why do dames carry so much stuff in a pocketbook? Give it to me. I was looking for a driver's license, but your bank book will do. And the name on this bank book isn't Allison at all. It's Grail. Anne Grail. Please. Oh, you're a hot rock, baby. I could toss you to the cops. Last night, all I could tell them was that Marriott was buying back some jewelry. 
You could knock their hats off of that line about the jade. Tell me, Miss Grail, have you ever known a girl named Velma Valento, a singer? I never heard of her in my life. Oh, well, it's just a shot in the dark. Besides, it's another case. I was just hoping. Who does that jade belong to? What's your interest in it? My interest? Well, Marriott gave me a hundred bucks to take care of him, and I didn't. I'm just a small businessman in a very messy business, but I like to follow through on a sale. The jade belongs to my father. Oh, I gathered from Marriott that the jade belonged to a lady. My father happens to be married. Oh, oh. Well, your mother was wearing it the night of the holdup. She's not my mother. My mother's dead. My father married again. Who sent you here to feel me out? It's my own brilliant idea. I saw your name in the newspaper. Well, before I talk to Inspector Randall, I think I'll have a talk with your father. And your father's wife. My car's downstairs. Except that I'm expecting to hear from somebody. Well, in that case, Mr. Marlowe... In that case, I'll go with you just the same. You're really a lot cuter than Moose Malloy. Come on, let's go. Before Dick Powell and his co-stars return with the second act of Murder, My Sweet... We take you to where there's a local war bond rally going on. And Mrs. White is curious about one of her fellow workers. Uh, Jean, stop here a minute, will you? Tell me, who is that attractive woman in charge of the next booth? Oh, that's Mrs. Jennings. Lovely looking, isn't she? Her daughter's a classmate of my Susie at college. Oh, now, Jean, don't tell me she's old enough to have a 20-year-old daughter. Well, she looks like a girl herself. It's her skin, I think. I've never seen her when her complexion didn't look like that. So soft and really fresh. Well, that's what a lovely luxe complexion does for a woman. Makes her look radiant, appealing. It's what you notice first about her appearance. That smooth, soft, luxe complexion. Screen stars know how very important it is to have the charm of exquisite skin. That's why they're so careful never to take chances with complexion beauty. Here's what a famous star, Claudette Colbert, says. I never neglect my daily active lather facials with luxe soap. They're so easy and they work. Here's what I do. I cover my face generously with a creamy lather, work it in thoroughly. I rinse with warm water, then cold, and pat my face dry with a towel. Now my skin feels smoother, softer, and it is. These facials the screen stars depend on really do make skin lovelier. Recent tests showed actually three out of four complexions improved in a short time with daily Lux Toilet Soap Care. Why don't you try it? You'll enjoy the extra creamy lather the gentle, caressing way it touches your skin. Nine out of ten famous screen stars use fine white Lux toilet soap. Why don't you begin your daily facials with Hollywood beauty soap tomorrow? Irving Pitchell brings our stars back for the second act. With Dick Powell as Philip, Claire Trevor as Helen, June Dupre as Anne, and Mike Mazurki as Moose Malloy, we raise the curtain on act two of Murder, My Sweet. Philip Marlowe continues with his story. This girl, this Anne Grail, she drove me to her father's place in Brentwood, a cozy eight or nine acres. Okay for the average family, only you'd need a compass to go to the mailbox. House was all right, too, but it wasn't as big as Buckingham Palace. I waited while she sold me to the old folks. It was like waiting to buy a crypt in a mausoleum. And then she called me in. Old man Grail looked like a college professor, and the old lady... Hmm, what an old lady... Blonde, gorgeous, and I guess about 30, with a face and a shape that'd make most pinup girls look like Gravel Gertie. 
She had dimples on her knees, and I was admiring them when the old man started to talk. Do you know anything about jade, Mr. Marlowe? It's, uh, green, isn't it? The jade stolen from my wife was a necklace, 60 beads of about six carats each. And very valuable, Mr. Marlowe. And there, why don't you sit down? What? Oh, yes. How valuable? A somewhat larger necklace recently brought $125,000. Yes, I never should have worn it. It was stupid. Inexcusable. Where was the stick-up? If you'll excuse me, I'm going to lie down. Mrs. Grail will talk to you. I'm most anxious to locate my jade, Mr. Marlowe. I can only hope it can be managed without any publicity. Wait a minute, Father. I'll go with you. May I mix you a drink, Mr. Marlowe? Thanks. I hadn't thought there were enough murders these days to make detecting very attractive to a young man. Well, I stir up trouble on the side. Uh, Tell me, uh, how much of your money was in Marriott's envelope? $8,000. Water or soda? Scotch. We assumed they'd never guess its real value. Who knew you were going to wear the necklace that night? My maid, perhaps. But I trust her implicitly. Why? Because I trust some people. I trust you. Did you trust Tom Marriott? In some things. You're not drinking, Mr. Marlowe. I thought detectives were heavy drinkers. Well, some detectives just encourage other people to drink. <laughs> Shall I tell you about the holdup? It uh, might help. Well, I'd been out dancing, and Tom was bringing me home. Where have you stopped? Oh, near here. Does it matter a lot? Oh, not too much at the moment, no. How many other guys take you out dancing? I'm very fond of my husband. Only his two steps getting a little stiff. Miss Grail, do you know Jules Amthor? I've heard Tom speak of him. Why? Oh, I don't know. The cops told me to leave Amthor alone. Is he a bad boy? A lot of Tom's friends are, I'm afraid. Tom was rather a heel himself, but a nice heel. You don't know how horrible I feel. Why? Why? Because I'm responsible. I asked Tom to try to buy the necklace back. Oh, I just can't understand the whole business. All they took was the necklace... I was wearing a ring, too, but they didn't want the ring. Uh, About Jules Amthor, what's his racket? Well, he's sort of a psychic consultant. I think he's a quack. Tom went to him because he was all mixed up. He he couldn't get started for fear of failure. I wonder if he'd take my case. (laughs) That sounded like the door closing. It was. Anne's been standing there. Oh, strange child. Mr. Marlowe, you will help me, won't you? Why? Because you like me or are you paying me something in money? Well, I've never hired a detective before. What are the rates? As much as a traffic will bear. How do I find Amthor? Well, he's really quite inaccessible. Yes? Mr. Amthor is here, Mrs. Gray. Well, show him in. Well, don't look so smug. He really is inaccessible. I didn't have the faintest idea he'd be coming. Mr. Marlowe, how do you spend your evenings? I'm in the phone book. Mrs. Graves. Oh, come in, Mr. Amthor. This is Mr. Marlowe. Oh, how do you do? Mr. Marlowe is a private detective. He was with Tom when... when it happened. Oh? I was hired as a bodyguard and bungled the job. Now it's myself I'm investigating. Oh, these things are so difficult to believe. What could have happened? I've got a couple of notions. Would you like to help me work them out? Oh, I'm afraid I... I wouldn't make a good detective, Mr. Marlowe, and I'm... Yeah, I know, I know. You're inaccessible. The police told me to keep away from you. You look harmless to me. I'll be very glad to arrange an interview. Just leave your number with Mrs. Gray. Don't go to any special trouble. I'll bring my own crystal ball. Hey, how do you get out of this fun house? I was home that night trying to add things up. 
Moose Malloy, Marriott, Helen the Beautiful Blonde, and Jules Amthor. I put it all together and it just thumbed its nose at me. I decided to go down to Florian's cafe and split an infinitive when the boss, when the buzzer, changed my plans. I had a visitor, Helen Gray. I just dropped in because I thought you'd be interested in what Amthor had to say. Oh, and here. Shall we call this a retainer? Yeah, let's call it a retainer. Mr. Marlowe, do the police know about me? Would that bother you? Well, my husband has a morbid fear of publicity, and, and he's not at all well. Oh, I'll manage it. Now, about Amthor. Oh, please. I don't like being rushed. I was hoping we could go out somewhere. Do you like the Coconut Beach Club? I've never been there. I'm the drive-in type. <laughs> the lights there are very flattering. They'd even mellow you a little, I think. But it's the sort of a place where you're expected to wear shoes and a tie. Mm. I'll be right with you. We went to the Coconut Beach Club. We had a table in the corner. She gave me that dreamy smile and started asking questions. You know, you've got a nice build for a private detective. Oh, it gets me around. How does one get to be a private detective? <laughs> you don't mind my sizing you up a little? Well, most of us are ex-cops. I worked for the district attorney. Got canned. Surely not for incompetence. Uh, for talking back. I had an interesting childhood, too, but you didn't drop in on me to get a biography. You'd rather I talked about Amthor. That's right, a good guess. Well, then, stay right here. I've got to powder my nose, and then I'll tell you all about it. Well, just be back before I get stuck with a check. talk with you. Well, hello, Miss Gale. I'd like to talk to you, too, but not now. Do the Grails always hold their family reunions here? It won't take long, what I have to say. Look, honey, I've already got a date. She'll be right back, and I don't want you two slugging it out in public. There's no danger of that. She won't be back. How do you know? Never mind. What did Helen ask you to do? She wanted me to kiss her and find her jade necklace. I may have the order wrong, but that's the general idea. Well, whatever she was willing to pay you, I'll pay you more. Just stay away from her. Why do you look at me like that? I don't know. I seem to remember you from one of my better dreams. You, you, you know, if I... Now what are you looking at? I'll be right back. Uh, hello, Mr. Malloy. Do you like this place better than Florian's? This the babe. I got something for you to do. Look, look, I'm a big boy now. Don't you want me to have any fun at all? I want you should meet a guy. Will you let go of me? Another ten seconds and gangrene will set in these fingers. Thanks. Okay, I'll ditch the babe. I couldn't ditch the babe. The babe had ditched me. First Helen had disappeared, and now Anne. Anne had left a card on the table... She'd written on it, I'll keep the offer open. I don't live in Brentwood. My address is 962 North Hoover Street. Moose saw me put the card in my pocket. He came over and hustled me out to the curb. There was a car waiting, also a guy to drive the car. He took us to a very ritzy apartment house, showed us up to the penthouse, and then did something that made me rather unhappy. You, uh, you carry a gun, Pally? Oh, I'm so used to packing one that hardly notices on me. I think maybe I better hold it, eh? Stop the stalling. Let's get inside. He was there, all right, Mr. Amthor. Me and Moose got him. Thank you, Michael. Mr. Amthor, I'd like to, uh, to ask him about Velma. Don't be impatient. 
You and Michael wait in the other room. Come on, big boy. But you ask him quick. I want to know now. Where did well, you where did you pick up Moose Malloy? Well, he uh, met at Mrs. Grail's. You said you wanted an interview. Huh? I must insist upon some sort of logical progression. We'll come to Moose Malloy later. As for my profession, my patients regard me highly as a psychic consultant, Mr. Marlowe. Years ahead of my time. Which might be one way of saying that some folks have made some complaints to the cops. It might be. Do you have another theory about me? Yeah, yeah, I do, and it goes like this. Marriott blackmailed rich women, but somebody else found the women for him. Oh. Well, if you're right, I would be that somebody, and I would have Mrs. Grail's jade necklace, wouldn't I? Unless something went wrong, like Marriott losing his nerve and ringing in a private dick, a sucker who'd risk his neck for a C-note, but who might figure a jade necklace would be a nice thing to have in his bank. And would this hypothetical detective be willing to part with it for a consideration? Could be, if he had it. How much of a consideration? Well, it's difficult to say until he produces the jade. He might be bluffing, trying to gain information. In which case, a great psychic, uh, years ahead of his time, might try to beat the truth out of him. You wouldn't suggest that? Only if you wanted to wear your face backwards for a while. No, no, there's no need for us to be at each other's throats, Mr. Marlowe. And there's really no need for subterfuge. Putting it on the simplest and friendliest terms. I want that jade. I suppose I don't have it. I suppose I don't want to sell. You got him to tell you yet? No, Malloy. I asked him where Velma is. He refuses to tell me. Now, wait a minute. I don't like you not telling me where you got Velma. Well, if Amthor told you I know where Velma Valento is, he's nuts. He just picked you up to do his dirty work. I gave you some dough to find her. Well, keep your shirt on and stop dancing me around. He's lying, Malloy. He knows. Where you got her? I haven't got her, you dimwit. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have hit me. All right, now, the two of you. Stay just where you are. What do you got to pull a gun for? Where's that necklace, Marlowe? If you tell me, I can stop Moose. I don't know. Very well, Moose. He's yours. Make him talk. So Moose went to work. Those fingers went around my throat tighter and tighter. That black pool opened up at my feet again, and I dived in. The rest of it was a crazy, cold-cut dream. I was going somewhere. I'd never been there before. I was drugged. Somebody had filled me full of juice. I was in the land of poppies, and I met a lot of interesting people. Necklace, Mr. Marlowe. Where is the necklace? I'm all right. What happened? I'm all right. You shouldn't have hit me like that. You shouldn't have hit me. Because I trust some people, I trust you. Because I trust some people. Help. Somebody, please help. Then I knew I couldn't go to sleep. Not if I wanted to stay alive. I could still feel those fingers on my throat. I even saw them. Just a bunch of bananas that looked like fingers. I wonder what I was full of. Something to keep me quiet, or was I dope to make me talk? Maybe both. Okay, Milo, I said to myself, you're a tough guy. You've been sapped, choked, and shot in the arm till you're crazy as a couple of waltz and mice. But you've got to get up and start moving. Let's see you do something really tough like putting on your pants. 
Well, I made it. Okay, you cuckoo. Your pants are on, now walk. And talk. What about? Anything, everything. Just talk and keep walking. You're getting out of here. Walk! I walked, I don't know how long. That kind of time they don't make in a watch. And then the smoke went away. The room turned into a room, and I knew I was ready to talk to somebody. I tore the bed apart and got a hunk of bed spring, and then I started to shout again. Help! Help! Mike walked in again, and I let him have it. Oh, that was a nice feeling. I crept down the stairs. There was a man in an office. The doctor's office, it looked like. I was in front of him before he saw me, but his hand went for the buzzer right away. That buzzer won't buy anything tonight, Doc. I just gave Nursey a sleeping tablet. For three days, sir, you have been a very sick man. Three days? You're swaying right now. Don't you realize that? I'm, I'm all cured, Doc. Now, what were you saying? I made no remark. I thought I heard you saying that you had a gun in that desk. And that if, that if you were very careful, you could sneak it out. A very stupid thing to do, Mr. Marlowe. Ah, uh, the gun. It's better. Now, talk some more. You've been suffering from narcotic poisoning. On account of you pumped me full of it. Speak up, Dr. Jekyll. I'm in a wild mood tonight. I haven't shot a man in a week. You very nearly died, sir. I had to give you digitalis. Also a little something to make me talk. What was I supposed to talk about? Maybe a jade necklace I haven't got? Mr. Amthor will be disappointed in you again. Never disappoint Mr. Amthor, Doc. It depresses him. I'm warning you, Mr. Marlowe. At any moment, you'll collapse. I must insist on your going back to bed. Get away from me. The gun, please. I want that gun. You're going to faint, Mr. Marlowe. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right, but not on this carpet. I'll do my folding on a nice hard street. You'll never reach that door. Well, before I try, I'm going to rip something off. No, not your head. Just a telephone. So long, Doc. I'll look you up when I get insomnia again. I staggered out to the street and down to the corner. Then I thought I was seeing things again. Yep, there he was, Moose Malloy. I couldn't have knocked the ashes off a cigarette, but I tried to swing on him. He just held me up and started talking. You shouldn't have to fight with me. You ain't in such good shape. I'll, I'll murder you. I don't like to fight with nobody. I want for you to keep looking for Velma. Who planted you here, Amthor? Amthor tells me about you. But he was kidding all the time. Uh, he was kidding the pants off you, Buster. He doesn't want you to find your girl. Nobody's supposed to find Velma. He's got other plans. You ain't in such good shape. I'd better help you. Then get me a cab, you dopey gorilla. Where do you want to go? What's that card you got? It says 962 North Hoover Street on the card. You saw me pick up this card in the Coconut Beach Club. That's where the babe lives, huh? Yeah, I think I'll find out why she's living alone and if she really likes it. Now get me a cab. What do you want? Black coffee, Miss Grail. Eggs and a scotch and soda. You're drunk. You better get out before Hey, I... this is a nice place here. Is there room for you in the Brentwood Palace, or don't you like it out there? Why did you come here? Because the cops may be looking for me, and I'm not ready to talk. If you're not drunk, why do you look the way you do? Yeah, ask the second Mrs. Grail. She fixed up a blind date for me with Jules Amthor and a couple of his whipping boys. What happened? Are you all right? Uh, I don't think I'm supposed to be alive. Um, say that again. 
Say what again? The last thing you said. I said, what happened? Are you all right? Miss Grail, what were you doing out there in the canyon the night Marriott was killed? I was lying on my face when somebody threw a flashlight and asked me if I was all right, and then she said, what happened? Yeah, a girl with red hair and a crooked nose and a nice figure. Yes, a girl named Anne Grail. I didn't kill Marriott. You weren't out there just taking a hike. I didn't kill him. I'd say you overheard Marriott and your stepmother making some sort of arrangements about the jade. What if I did? You knew Marriott had been holding hands with her, and you didn't like that. I hate her. And you hated him, too. You hated anybody that had anything to do with Helen, so you bumped him off. You killed Tom Marriott. I didn't. I didn't do it. I didn't. <laughs> We pause now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. A brief intermission before our stars return in the third act of Murder, My Sweet. Meanwhile, it's 2.45 of a bright afternoon, just the day for Mary to be hard at work in her victory garden. There, that'll hold those pesky weeds for a while. Hello, Johnny. Telegram from me? What in the world? Have 48-hour pass, arriving 5.15. See you soon, darling. Signed, Jim. Oh, heavens to Betsy. He'll be here in a few hours. I'd die if he saw me like this. The house has got to be slicked up, too, and I've just got to fix something special for dinner. Well... Here goes. Got to work fast. Now it's 3.45. Mary has accomplished wonders. Is giving the furniture one last polish. There. That looks something like it. And now to press my dress. The blue and green print Jim loves so. Now it's 4.45. The dress is ready, the dinner started, and there's still a half an hour to go. Oh, goodness, I feel all in. Glad there's time for my Lux Soap beauty bath. That'll do the trick. Hmm. Lather's wonderful. So rich and creamy. I feel like a different person already. And I love this nice perfume Lux Soap leaves on my skin. Makes me forget all the work I've done and feel like Jim's girl again. And now it's 5.30 and Jim is here. Gosh, you're lovely, Mary. What makes you so sweet? So many clever girls depend on their Lux Toilet Soap Beauty Bath for a quick, refreshing beauty pickup. But most important of all, they know this secret. When I step for my Lux Soap Bath, I know my skin is fresh and really sweet. Cream stars say a daily Lux soap bath makes you sure of daintiness, and I found they're right. Screen stars, lovely women everywhere, discovered long ago their fine white complexion soap, Lux toilet soap, makes an exquisite bath soap, too. The extra creamy lather, rich and abundant even in hard water, leaves skin flower fresh. And screen stars tell you they love Lux toilet soap's delicate clinging perfume, too. Why not get some of Hollywood's fragrant Lux toilet soap for your beauty bath tomorrow? It's thrifty to use. You'll find each satin-smooth cake lasts and lasts. Back now to Irving Pitchell and our stars. The curtain rises on Act Three of Murder, My Sweet, starring Dick Powell as Philip Marlowe, Claire Trevor as Helen, June Dupre as Anne, and Mike Mazurki as Moose Malloy. Philip Marlowe is in the apartment of Anne Grail, whom he has just accused of murder. I stood there in Ann Grail's apartment and accused her of killing Marriott. I was sure she hadn't done it, but I had to find out what she knew. 
I know just what you're thinking. If I didn't kill him, my father did. And if he did, you'd do anything to protect him? No. No, he couldn't do such a thing. Uh, I don't buy it either yet. I was just trying it on for size. Won't you please go home? I, I'm expecting a date. I... I, I can't go home. There's a very stubborn character named Inspector Randall. And if he isn't on my doorstep right now waiting to pick me up, then two of his stooges are. So relax. Hey, your date? Probably. Wait here. Tell him you've decided to have a quiet little supper with me. Yes? My name's Randall. I'd like a word with your boyfriend. Oh, I was just talking about you, Inspector. I've been looking for you for three days. Pull up a chair. Miss Grail was about to fix some soft-boiled eggs and scotch. You wouldn't join us. Last time I saw you, I gave you some good advice. I guess it didn't take, huh? I didn't bother Amthor. I was going to, but it didn't get around to it. He got to me. Yeah, he gave me quite a party. How'd it go? What'll it buy me? This is straight, Randall. You'd like to get Amthor, and I'd like to help you. He annoyed me a little. I'm listening. Well, Amthor's a tough turkey. Works some kind of blackmail routine on dames who come to him with problems. I think Marriott was his contact man. Let's get to the new part, huh? Uh, the jewelry Marriott was after was a jade necklace that belonged to one of Amthor's patients. Well, Marriott fumbled the ball. Yeah? So Amthor figured I had it. He sent me to a little rest home where the teacher to talk. There's a guy there who's a whiz with a hypo. The address is 23rd and Descanso. Okay, okay. Who owns the jade? I told you. One of Amthor's patients. By the name of, uh... I don't know. Oh, Miss Grail. Yes? When were you last to your father's place in Brentwood? Not for several days. Is something wrong? Skip it, skip it. Milo, I figure what you told me is on the level. But don't make a habit of trying to help me. I might get grateful and lock you up. Uh, give me a call tomorrow. How could he know about me? I don't know. That's what happens when you let a cop go to school. He gets smart. <laughs> now fix up your face. We, we got to get out of the marble quarry. Where? Brentwood. Oh. What's the matter? Oh, it's a funny thing. About every third day I get hungry. I, I can fix eggs and coffee if you want to wait. You know, you're crazy. Everybody takes a poke at you. They fill, fill you full of drugs, but you bounce right back and hit between tackle and land all over again. And I don't think you even know which team you're on. I don't know which team anybody's on. I don't even know who's playing today. At Brentwood, we saw Mr. Grail, and I've seen healthier-looking gents in the county morgue. His face was gray with worry. Something was eating him. More important than a missing jade necklace. A missing wife. Helen left yesterday. I haven't heard from her since. And have you seen her? Have you? No, dear, but maybe... Well, maybe she went to the beach house. Beach house? It had been rented to Marriott indirectly through the bank. I think I'd better have a look at it. This whole thing has gone too far. Oh? Or maybe it's coming too close to home. Mr. Grail, I don't say you killed Marriott, but you could have. For a good old-fashioned motive. I did not kill him, Mr. Morrow. But I say it is better that he is dead. I'm not concerned if the police suspect me. I'm concerned about my wife. I... I'm losing her. Father. And that is please. why I say all this has got to stop. You'll drop the case, Mr. Morrow. I'll pay you well. Oh, fine. I get dragged in, get money shoved at me. I get pushed out, get money shoved at me. Everybody pushes me in, everybody pushes me out. Nobody wants me to do anything. Okay, skip it. I'll put a check in the mail. Yeah, well, I cost a lot to do nothing. I get restless. Throw on a trip to Mexico. Father, where are you... Stay here. Why? Because I want a key to that beach house. But you just told him. I can't stop now. Do the cops stop? Does Helen stop? Do you stop? What do you mean? Does, 
does Helen stop? Oh, I don't know. If I always knew what I meant, I'd be a genius. You're vicious. You get some horrible satisfaction seeing people torn apart. Sister, you're hanging on to something that's going to smack you hard. If I stick, it smacks you sooner, sooner and cleaner. Maybe that's why I'm sticking. Oh, but I'd stick anyway, because a guy who hired me got killed. I'll... I'll get you the key. We went to the beach house. Things happened there. Some of them I can explain. One thing I can't. After we took a, lo- took a look around, Anne and I were standing there in the dark, looking out that big front window toward the ocean, and before I knew it, we were in a clinch. Oh, it's nice to kiss a girl like Anne Grail. I told her she had a cute little face, even if her nose was slightly crooked. It isn't crooked. Just has a bump on it where I got hit with a baseball. I used to play shortstop. Philip. Yeah? What about my father? If we don't find I'm Helen... going to make you mad now, baby. But here goes. Your father really loves Helen. When I came along, you were afraid she might turn me into another Marriott. So you tried to buy me off. That didn't work, and I began to suspect your father. A real tough guesser might say that when he couldn't buy me off either, you decided to be nice to me. Like just now. There's nothing decent about you, is there? Nothing at all. I, I don't always guess right. I, I may be wrong. I, I think I am wrong. Sometimes I hate all men. Young men, handsome men who don't work for a living and, and almost heels who are private detectives. <laughs> Helen. Oh, I'm sorry, darling. But you should know by now that men play rough. They soften you up and then they belt you one. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Marlowe. Hi. I didn't finish, Helen. I hate a lot of women, too, especially beautiful, expensive blondes, all bubble bath and moonlight, and, and inside, cold and hard like blue steel, only not that clean. Your slip is showing, darling. I'm leaving. I'll tell Father you're here. Well, how long have you been here, Mrs. Grail? Since yesterday. You just happened to leave the Brentwood place before the cops dropped in on your husband? Oh, please. Look, you hired me to get your necklace, so you stand me up at a corny rum joint and tell Amthor. I'm sorry. I, I thought you might have had the jade. Please, please don't blame me. You could have had it. What Amthor did, was it bad? Uh, it almost made me mad. No. <laughs> now, just what goes between you two? Well, he's blackmailing me. Well, that much even I can figure out. My husband is in love with me. I'm... I'm fond of him, and I'm grateful, but I find other men very attractive. I imagine they meet you halfway. I met Amthor through Tom Marriott. He's smart. He does know psychology. He got me talking, and of course I talked too much. He uncovered something, and the blackmailing started. I think if my husband had found out, it would have killed him. So you agreed to give Amthor the necklace? But before I could, it was stolen. By Marriott? Must have been. Amthor probably came to the same conclusion. He decided to kill him, and that's why Marriott wanted you for protection. All right, I'll, I'll buy it up to there. What happens now? I want you to help me kill Jules Amthor. Don't you see? You're the only one I can turn to. It's the only way I'll ever have peace. He'll never be satisfied, even if he does get the jade. Why me? Because I have a gun or just because I wear pants? Oh, please. Please, I need you so. I need help and peace desperately. I need you. Have you got anything worked out? Yes, but Amthor's disappeared. Maybe I can find him. 
careful and tell them you've got the jade and you're ready to sail. Then what? That's my part. All right, uh, I'll dig him up. Oh, you're... You're wonderful. How would you like not having to earn a living? Wouldn't bother me a bit. <laughs> when will you be back? Uh, I may have a time finding him. Maybe not till tomorrow night. Oh, would you mind kissing me goodbye? No, Please. I wouldn't mind at all. I went straight to Amthor's apartment. I had a couple of keys, and one of them fitted the back door. I wanted to surprise Amthor. I thought it would give him a bang. I thought it would kill him. Amthor was on the living room floor. He wasn't mussed, just snapped, the way a pretty girl would snap a stalk of celery. Only for this job, you'd have to be a big man with a big pair of hands. I hustled downtown, bought a late edition. I wanted to see how the police were doing on the Marriott murder. And while I was looking at the paper, somebody was looking at me. I've been trying to find you all over. I got to go away. Yeah, yeah, Amthor's dead. I know, you didn't mean to kill him. You just shook him too hard because he wouldn't tell you where Velma is. You find her? Yeah, Moose, I find her. Where is she? You tipped the Johns off on her. I wouldn't want little Velma to do no stretch. Turn me loose, turn me loose, and stop waltzing me around. If the Johns got Velma... Nobody's got her, she's got herself. Yeah, you can see her tomorrow. Okay. Now go hide yourself and be here tomorrow night as soon as it gets dark. Moose showed up tonight like I told him. I sold him on waiting outside the beach house until I called him. That was like lighting a stick of dynamite and telling it not to go off. But I had a plan. Helen was waiting for me. Philip, Philip, did you find him? Did you find Amthor? He'll be here around 12. 12. Would you like to look at this? Hmm? This is it, Philip. The necklace. Where'd you get it? I went to Brentwood today. Got it out of my dressing table drawer. Surprise. In a flabbergasted sort of way, yes. It was never stolen. You faked the whole thing? I simply wasn't going to let Amthor get it. When he comes, he can take a look at it. Well, he, he may have a gun. He'll never get that far. So have I. You went to Brentwood. Then where's Anne and your father? I can't say. They were out. And now I'm going to be very grateful. Here, the necklace. It's yours. You're much too nice to be a grubby detective all your life. You told Marriott this thing had been stolen. Why? Well, he was close to Amthor. They both had to think it was stolen. Marriott fell for that? Of course. And you still think Amthor killed him? Who else? You. Oh, no. No, you, you can't mean that. Yes, I think Marriott was scared because he'd agreed to help you kill a nosy detective. The same detective Moose took to Florian's joint, the one Florian told Marriott about. Marriott had to help you protect his interest. You knew that. You're a living to him and to Amther and, his, and in his modest way to Florian. You supported them. They knew you wouldn't be worth blackmailing if I found you for Moose Malloy. Oh, no, no, oh, I was nifty thinking, darling. At the canyon, one of us would get out of the car. It didn't matter who. Either way, you had Marriott and me separated, and you would tag us one at a time and get your 8,000 bucks and knock off Amthor later. Yeah, it might have worked, too, if it hadn't been for Anne chasing down there after you. Of course, my head's pretty hard. It's true. It's all true. Everybody was closing in on me. I didn't know which way to turn. And it almost worked, sister. I was almost as dead as Marriott. But killing a man with a blackjack, oh, that's no work for a lady. Well, after, after it happened, I, I didn't know what you would do. But now I'm, I'm so close to peace. So close. Just, just a handful. But I can't face it alone. 
Don't desert me now. Sure. Amthor blackmailed you. He's got something on you, only it isn't what you told me. It isn't just men. Your husband could understand the men. No, it's the clink looming up. And it's no good understanding the clink. Moose is looking for you, Velma. Where is he? Where is Moose? Waiting for me to call him in. Eight years ago, when you were his girl, what did you talk Moose into doing? He went to jail for you. Was it murder or something serious? Where are you going? To tell him that his red head has turned blonde. Come back. Huh? Oh. Oh, a gun. Well, well, it fits your personality better than a blackjack. And the pearl handle goes swell with your fingernail polish. You know, it's too bad it has to be like this. Don't move. Who is it? Well, well, come in, come in. Darling, that gun, what are you... Close that door, Anne. Your timing, dear, gets worse and worse. We've been listening. Why didn't you tell me you were in such trouble? I wanted to spare you. I might have been able to prevent all this. Now, of course, it's too late, Mr. Marlowe. I see your point. Helen, if Mr. Amthor is coming, I think perhaps you'd better do it quickly. Father. Get inside, dear. Keep your hands up, Mr. Marlowe. I'll have to take your gun. I'll be with Anne, Helen. Oh, all by ourselves again. Yes. You know, this will be the first time I ever killed anyone I knew so little about and, and like so much. You and I. <laughs> Just a couple of mugs. <laughs> but we could have got along. What's stopping us now? I can handle Moose. He broke Amthor's neck yesterday. What did you say? Something I shouldn't have. Amphthor is dead. Yeah? Then that leaves only you. I'm sorry, but you know too... <gasps> too... Too much. I had to do it, Mr. Marlowe. I had to kill her. Hello, hello. Let's have the police. Give me that phone. Give it to me. Don't you realize he saved your life? Why must you suffer for that? The cops always like to solve murders done with my gun. She's dead, isn't that enough? She was evil, all evil. I think I hear a shot, Mr. Marlowe. I think I better come in. Moose. Moose, it didn't work out the way I planned. Never mind. I'd like to talk to Velma now. I'd... Moose. Don't touch her. She ain't hardly changed. Just like always. Cute as a bug's ear. I wasn't going to bother her none. She done all right. Who done this? I did. You shouldn't have killed her. Moose. You shouldn't have killed Velma. Moose. Get out of my way. Don't come any closer, please. Moose, will you listen to me? Moose! That old black pit opened up again right on schedule. Blacker than the others and deeper. Well, that's the works. That's all I know on account I didn't see so well with my eyeballs scorched. They didn't keep me long at the hospital. Two hours ago, Randall came and picked me up. And everything I've been telling you, I've been telling him. He's sitting right here in front of me now. I wish I could see Randall. Wish the bandage wasn't on my face. I want to look at his ugly kisser and figure out what he's thinking. Marlowe? Huh? There's a piece of paper here on my desk, a warrant for your arrest. I'm tearing it up. Oh, thanks. Uh, tonight, uh, when it happened, I, I heard the shots. I still don't know who got hit. It wasn't the kid, was it, Randall? No. No, you can get out of here now if you want to. You mean I'm sprung? Who backed me up? Who got shot? I heard three. Moose Malloy. Dead? Yes, and Grail. While they were fighting for the gun. Anne's okay, then. Huh. 
She thought it over while I was in the hospital and came around and backed me up, right? I didn't say. <laughs> McNulty, see if he gets home. Yeah. I'll buy you a ride in a cab, Marlowe. Hey, what are you putting in my pocket? The necklace. She gave it to you, didn't she? Yeah, I tried it on. It's wrong for my complexion. Then give it to your girlfriend. Strangle yourself with it. No, just go on and beat it. Let's go, Marlowe. Well, you can come in now, Miss Grail. Why didn't you tell him? Why did you have to keep him guessing? About your backing him up? Why don't you tell him? You can catch him outside. Just give Nolte the high sign. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Hey, nothing. Yeah? What do you know about that redhead pitching for me? Uh, uh, yeah. Hey, are we alone or am I hearing things? What things? Like someone else is walking with us. Oh, you're on the street. Lots of people walk on the street. Oh, oh. She had a cute figure, huh? I, I didn't notice. You must be low on vitamins. <laughs> oh, she had more than a figure, too. Not a beautiful face, but a good face. I, I didn't notice. Face like a Sunday school picnic. Oh, there's a cab down the block. Say, are you sure we're alone? Hey, hey, cab! Yes, sir. Oh, well, I guess she thought I liked the blonde chewing on my face. Wish I could tell her. I wish I could... Duck your head, Marlowe. This here's the cab. Where to, mister? 800 South Kingsley. Yes, sir. Hey, Nolte, I... Hey, what goes? If I didn't have these bandages over my eyes... You go eye... to the same address, too, lady? Uh, Nolte, I haven't kissed anybody in a long time. Would it be all right if I kissed you, Nolte? I think it would be just fine. I said, are you going to the same... Oh. Oh, yeah, I guess you are. <laughs> now that we've cleared Dick Powell of murder... The rest of our cast can get back on their feet and join him at the footlights for a curtain call. You should have been in tonight's cast, Irving. You used to play in pictures. Well, thanks, Dick. But I'm too old to go through what you went through in tonight's play. Tell me, Claire, how does it happen that a nice girl like you always gets to play the bad girl roles? Oh, I don't know, Irving. I guess they've got me typed. They had Dick Powell typed for a while, but look what he's doing now. That's right, June. Next week, he starts a whole new radio series as a tough detective. You mean I might yet get a chance to play a sweet young housewife? And how about me, Mr. Pitchell? Do you think I could play Hansel and Gretel with Margaret O'Brien? <laughs> Maybe if you took a course in compression, Mike. You mean expression. No, I mean compression. Or else learn to walk on your knees and keep your hands behind your back. <laughs> uh, well, what do we do with June Dupre, Irving? Well, we just pat her on both cheeks and tell her to stay as sweet as she is. Oh, now, here, you aren't falling for that Lux complexion, Pitch. Why not? Other men have. That's right, Irving. That's why so many of us use Lux toilet soap. Look, uh, Pitch, while we're getting everybody out of acting ruts, what, uh, what sort of a role would you give yourself if you went back to acting? Well, you were mostly a heavy in pictures, weren't you? Yes, and I rather fancy myself in a light musical comedy part. You know, the kind of bright young chap who sings, Smile the while, let a smile be your style. You <laughs> Look, Irving, I, I think you'd better stick to making pictures. Incidentally, I understand from Paramount that you did great things with a medal for Benny. Well, I had a good story there to work with, Dick. A homeboy whose rival in love is an overseas hero. And a good cast. I'm looking forward to it, Irving. But uh, tell me, what do you have on Lux next week? 
Well, for next week, we have an altogether charming story with a most delightful cast. The Canterville Ghost, starring Margaret O'Brien, Charles Lawton, and Tom Drake. Take a group of high-spirited American commandos, billet them in an ancient British castle where their hostess is Lady Margaret O'Brien, and then haunt that castle by the most notorious ghost in England, and you have the elements of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's entertaining and extraordinary comedy. The Canterville Ghost can haunt my house next Monday, Pitch. Good night. Good night. Good night. And all our thanks. This week, America salutes the Army's famous Quartermaster Corps on its 107th anniversary. The oldest supply branch of the armed forces, the Fighting Quartermasters, are seeing to it that American soldiers are the best fed, best clothed, best cared for fighting men in history. Theirs has been a gallant contribution to the cause of freedom. Our sponsors, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, Join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday night when the Lux Radio Theater presents Charles Lawton, Margaret O'Brien, and Tom Drake in The Canterville Ghost. This is Irving Pitchell saying good night from Hollywood. Every day, as the war against Japan increases in intensity, the need for waste, fats, and greases grows more critical. Here's one department where the enemy may be superior unless you help make up the difference from your kitchens. Save all waste fats and greases, no matter how discolored. Keep a clean can in which to strain them and take them regularly to your butcher. Remember, for every pound, he'll give you four cents plus two extra meat points. Murder, My Sweet was presented through the cooperation of RKO Studios, producers of Enchanted Cottage. Dick Powell appeared through the courtesy of the Fitch Bandwagon and will shortly be seen in the RKO picture, Cornered. Claire Trevor will soon appear in RKO's Johnny Angel. Mike Mazurki is currently working on the RKO version of Dick Tracy. Heard in tonight's cast were Cy Kendall, Gerald Moore, Robert Regent, Norman Field, Eddie Marr, Dora Singleton, Charles Seal, Ed Emerson, and Leo Sharon. Our music was directed by Louis Silvers. This program is broadcast to our fighting forces overseas through cooperation with the Armed Forces Radio Service. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.